and open to the book of Daniel in our Old Testament. Daniel chapter 9. And thank you once again for allowing me to be here. Thank you to the church and pastor. Um, This morning's message is titled, A Pattern of Prayer from a Man of Prayer. A Pattern of Prayer from a Man of Prayer. We're going to be looking at the life of Daniel, specifically in Daniel chapter 9, where a very long prayer of his is recorded. And we're going to learn some principles from his life and uh, pray that God would make it useful in our life, in our prayer life. Daniel chapter 9, let's go ahead and stand as, out of respect for the Word of God as we read it. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years, whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princesses, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as it is this day. To the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princesses, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, through though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done, as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renowned as, as at this day. We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear 
the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thy own sake, O my God. And for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it gives us. We pray that it would bless and help every believer this morning, that you would stir our hearts, that we too would be people of prayer as Daniel, this man of God, was. And Father, I pray for those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ truly as their Lord and Savior, that this day that they would cry out to thee with a heart that has repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Be glorified in all that is done and said this morning, we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Daniel, of course, is written by the prophet Daniel. The time was a time when God brought judgment upon Israel because of their idolatry and wickedness. And so they had been taken away, deported from the land of Israel to the land of Babylon. Daniel was taken as a young man, most likely a young teenager. And he had been in Babylon many years. And at the end of the reign of Babylon, of course, the Persians took over, and Daniel was even involved in their government. Daniel is a man who has marked, his life is marked by faithfulness to our Lord. As we come to Daniel chapter number 9, Daniel chapter 9 is famous for the last, oh, uh, three verses, the last four verses in the book. And the reason why is because it deals with Bible prophecy. In fact, Daniel chapter 9, specifically the last four or five verses, has been described as the key to prophetic Bible interpretation, the backbone of the Bible prophecy. One speaker by the name of Desmond Ford says that it is not only the devotional heart of the book, but also contains the crown jewels of Old Testament prophecy. This is very important for the nation of Israel and God's plans for the world and for the nation of Israel specifically. It determines the time of when the Messiah would come, the very exact date of when Jesus Christ would come. He would be cut off, as the Bible reads, meaning he would be executed, not for his own sins, but for the sins of his people. And then it deals with the time when a false leader would come and bring in a false peace among Israel. So in many ways, this is a very popular chapter when it comes to Bible prophecy, the prophecy of the 70 weeks or the 490 years that is determined upon the nation of Israel. But not only are there four verses in this chapter, there's many other verses as well. But this chapter, many times, the first 23 verses are taken as an add-in. It's almost as people, they're, of course, hungry for the future. They talk about the Antichrist and who he is and what his address is, what his zip code is. Boy, people just crowd into here. Everybody wants to know about the future. But the book of Daniel, and specifically Daniel chapter 9, is more than four verses. It's not like Daniel chapter 9, the, the first 23 verses are nothing but salad, and at the end is the good stuff. It's actually all good stuff because it's God's Word. And so we learn very important lessons here in Daniel chapter 9, and this prayer that is prayed by Daniel. There are three significant chapters in the Old Testament, or three 
chapter 9s, we could say, that are significant in regards to prayer. Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. All of them deal with God's people praying to the Lord. In each case, the servant of God is on his knees before the Word of God and before the God of the Word. Here in Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel's unguarded prayer of confession as he confesses his sins to God. As we look at this prayer, let us examine our own prayer life and note what should our prayer life be like. How does the healthy prayer life of a believer look like? And we see it modeled for us in this man, Daniel. We're going to mark this morning, first of all, that your prayer life should be, number one, be in response to the Word of God. It should be in response to the Word of God. Look at verse number 2 with me of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel understood by books, and he's not referring to Time magazine, he's referring to the Bible, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that Daniel, well, we know that he was a man of prayer, and Daniel chapter 6, of course, is a famous story how Daniel was thrown into a lion's den because he was a dedicated man of prayer, a man of godliness. He prayed, we know, at least three times a day. We come to Daniel chapter 9, we see that before he prayed, Daniel was studying the Bible. Specifically, he was studying the scrolls of the book of Jeremiah. Daniel found from Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's writings and understood that the Jews, which were taken from the land of Israel, that they would be in captivity in Babylon a total, not of 71 years or 69 years, but of 70 years. And then God would sovereignly allow them to go back to their homeland. Daniel realized that the ordeal that the Jew, for the Jewish people was about to come to an end. In fact, he knew, according to Jeremiah 25.1, that the exile began in the year of a king by the name of Jehoiakim good name to name your son Jehoiakim. In 605 B.C., that meant that the exile would end in 536 B.C. He knew how to do his math and he knew the Bible. At this time, in Daniel chapter 9, he knew based on the study of the Bible that there would be two years left. And then Israel would be allowed to go back to the promised land. In Jeremiah 25 verse 11, The word of God reads, And this whole land shall be a desolation, speaking of Israel, an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon, speaking to Israel and the surrounding nations, 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it a perpetual desolation. That is, God took the nation of Babylon, a wicked nation, brought them in as a rod of discipline, disciplined the people of Israel. They would be taken into captivity for 70 years. After the 70 years are up, according to the Bible, they would allow to be go back, and God would turn around and discipline the very people that he used to discipline Israel. And so Daniel knew this. And the reason he knew that is because he studied the Word of God. At this time, we estimate that Daniel is in his 80s. 80s. He's at his prime. 
And there he is studying the Word of God, and he's encouraged by his study of the Word of God that God's purposes for the Jewish people are not yet fulfilled, but they're going to be very soon. And there is Daniel, involved in government, involved in all that life has to offer, a very hard-working man. Yet, Daniel found time to pray and to study the Word of God. He did not allow his responsibilities in government... He didn't allow his schedule to interrupt his times of study of the Word of God. As we look at Daniel chapter 9, the life of Daniel, every one of us could say we have busy schedules. We have busy lives. But we're never too busy, and we ought never to be too busy, to study the Word of God. We see this in the life of Daniel. Daniel made time to make sure that he was involved in the study of the Bible. And that encouraged him to pray. Notice, in Daniel chapter 9, he knew that it was determined by God that God was going to take the Jewish people, not only in captivity, but out of captivity, after 70 years. This plan could not be stopped. It was predetermined by God Almighty, knowing that God is sovereign, knowing that the nations are in his hand, as Nebuchadnezzar confessed in Daniel chapter 4, that God rules in the kingdom of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Daniel believed in the absolute, complete sovereignty of God and did not use it as an excuse not to pray. He didn't say, Oh, God's so in control. Why pray? What will be, what will be, will be... He wasn't a fatalist. He believed the Bible, the same Bible that teaches the absolute, complete sovereignty of God, teaches the responsibility of men. And God urges us to pray. We are commanded to pray. And Daniel, as a student of the Bible, was encouraged to go to God in brokenness and repentance for his people and to pray. Prayer and the Word of God are inseparably linked together. For I cannot pray intelligently about God's plan unless I understand His Word. I think of the Apostle John, when Jesus spoke to him. In Revelation twenty two twenty, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. And John's immediate response was, Even so, come Lord Jesus. John didn't say, well, it's predetermined, Jesus is coming. What can we do? We can't stop the tribulation. Oh, well, oh, well, what can we do? No, no. As he knew God's word, he was encouraged to cry out in prayer to the Lord. We see this pattern in Nehemiah chapter 9. As that great expositor, that great scribe Ezra, mounted a good pulpit of wood, not of glass. And he got up to preach. And as he expounded the word of God, the people responded in prayer. And they cried out to God in prayer as their sins were exposed by the light of God's holy word. When the law of God was read, the people were driven to their knees. Listen, if you can read the word of God and not be driven to prayer, then you're not looking, you're not listening to what God is saying in his word. 
Because whenever you read, it should cause us to confess our sin. We read of David's broken heart over his sin. We too ought to respond in brokenness of our own sin to God in prayer. When we see the believers in the Bible praising God, you too ought to praise God in prayer. When we see the saints of God being thankful for the plan of God and the sovereignty of God, the greatness of God, we too ought to respond in prayer in like attitude. Think about it. In Acts chapter 6, the two primary jobs of a preacher was to give himself over to prayer and the Word of God. Why? Because they always go together. They're like Siamese twins. Where there's true biblical prayer, there must be a true study of the Word of God. Where there is the true study of the Word of God, there ought to be prayer. The Word of God generates prayer. When it speaks of God, we ought to long to commune with God. When it speaks of blessing, we ought to long to praise God for His blessing. When it speaks of sin and judgment, we ought to confess our own sins before God Almighty. Uh, Listen, the Word of God causes us, ought to cause us to pray. Your prayer life should be in response to the Word of God. God help us that we can turn to a chapter like Luke 16 and see the story that Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man who died and found himself in hell and in torment. God help us that we can read of the great throne judgment in Revelation chapter 21 where they're cast into a lake of fire which burneth with fire and brimstone. And we can read these truths and not be moved into prayer by the word of God. That was not the attitude of Daniel. Daniel read the word of God and it caused him to pray. I think of, uh, as an example, I think of the Apostle Paul. God used him to write Romans 9. What a wonderful chapter exalting the absolute, complete, unmitigated sovereignty of God. And in Romans chapter 10, his response is, Brethren, my prayer and my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. It wasn't, oh, God's sovereign, why pray? No, because God is sovereign. I must pray. I must pray for my brethren to be saved. And so he responded to the word of God as Daniel did. In Daniel chapter 9, your prayer life should be in response to the word of God as it was in the life of Daniel. And this prayer wasn't just some recited prayer he learned in Sunday school. It wasn't one, two, three, I lay me down to sleep, amen. This prayer that he prayed in response to the word of God, we mark secondly, must be fervent. It was fervent. Your prayer life should be fervent. Look at verse 3 with me. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Here Daniel's driven to his knees in humility. He grieves over his own sin. This meant that Daniel turned to God. He faced God. He focused on God in his prayer. Here he is. He comes fervently, so fervently to the Lord that he came, he doesn't even eat. I don't know about you, but I like to eat. In fact, some of you are thinking of eating right now as I speak. Say, man, is this guy prophetic? No, I'm not. And I'm not charismatic. I just know it's human nature. We like food. We like good tasting food. I like good Mexican food. Oh, it's so good. I'm getting hungry right now as I'm thinking about it. Ready to call service right now over. No. 
We get hungry. We have appetites. But Daniel's prayer was so fervent. He put aside those natural appetites for food in order to focus in on prayer. Say, well, that doesn't sound too hard. Do it! Fast a meal or two or three or four. Oh, it hurts. It hurts, especially those of us that really like to eat. Those of us that like to buffet the body, as they say. Those that really like, boy, it hurts the fast. But it shows that we're serious in our prayer life. We're fervent. We're zealous. This was Daniel. After studying the Word of God, he prayed, and he fasted with that prayer. When should we, like Daniel, fast? Well, we know that Jesus fasted when he was sorely tempted in Matthew 4. We know that Daniel fasted when he earnestly desired an answer to, to his prayer to God in Daniel chapter 9. We're to fast and to ask for, when we ask for God's protection and need. Ezra did that in Ezra chapter 8. As he was going to travel without military escort back to the promised land, he fasted and prayed for God's protection. We ought to fast when victory is desired over seemingly impossible situations, for that's what Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 1. As a king's cupbearer, he was going to go before the king and ask for an impossible request from the king. And what did he do? He was so fervent in his desire and in his prayer that he fasted. The Bible tells us that Daniel wore sackcloth that replaced his smooth satin robes of authority that he, he wore as a governmental official. Sackcloth was uncomfortable and probably scratchy. It was worn as an act of humility, of brokenheartedness, of uh, uh, having a, a heart of repentance over your sin. Daniel was sincere in his confession by showing it in the ashes that he put on himself. Here is Daniel. He is passionate. He is persistent. He is fervent in his prayer. This is an intense man. He is intense in his prayer. The Word of God tells us in, J in James chapter 5, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Think about that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then it gives us an example. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth in the space of three years. Elijah, like Daniel, was an average man. He wasn't a man walking around with a halo and doing this, whatever that is. He was a normal man. And yet he prayed fervently in response to the word of God. This type of fervency and passion in prayer is hard. It's very hard. We live in a society that comes to us in short spurts. Attention, pans, attention spans are short. Think about it. We can, a person can sit in front of a television, see explosions and, and special effects, and say, ooh, ah, oh, whoa, for two to three hours. But preach for more than 30 minutes. <laughs> we watch 60-minute commercials. Listen, the art of persistence and fer fervency in prayer is extremely difficult, but not impossible. Robert Murray McShane, the great man of prayer, said, A great part of my time is spent in getting my heart in tune for prayer, because prayer is the link that connects earth to heaven. Dr. Guthrie, an old saint of God who lived a century ago, said, The first sign of true spiritual life is prayer. It is also the means of maintaining spiritual life. 
Man can, as well, live physically without breathing as spiritually without praying. Oh, listen. I heard one pastor describe his church and say about his church, he said, I'm sure that our church will be the first ones to go in the rapture. He said, wow, he discovered something new. He goes, yes, because the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, listen, that ought not to be said of us. That ought to be said because we're people of the Word of God that like Daniel, we are fervent in our prayer. We are in response to the Word of God. We pray fervently to the Lord. And as we study the Word of God, as we're fervent, we're not going to come to God with flippancy, with a prideful heart, thanking God how great we are. No, we will come, thirdly, in humility. Your prayer life should be, number one, a response to the Word of God. Number two, be fervent. Number three, be filled with humility. Look at verse number four with me. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. Oh, listen, Daniel comes. He makes confession. He identifies with his people. He does not come and urge God, oh God, do something because you know I'm a good guy. Oh Lord, you ought to do this for your people Israel because they are worthy. Oh no, there's nothing in him that moves God's grace. No goodness of his own. Daniel realized he could not urge on God any goodness of the nation for they had forfeited any claim to God's goodness by their disobedience. No, he realized, according to Leviticus chapter 26, that God promised if Israel would disobey, God would use the pagan nations to come and to judge them and to discipline them. And as a result of that, Daniel comes, aware of his own sin and the sin of his people, and comes with the heart confessing his own sin in humility to this awesome God who controls all. Like Daniel We must humbly approach God in prayer and in confession. Oh, listen, the contrast to that, the opposite of that, is the Pharisee in our Lord's parable in Luke 18. Remember how Jesus talked about the publican and the parable, and the publican and the Pharisee, how they both went up to the temple to pray, and how humble the publican was as he beat his chest, would not even look up to heaven and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner, literally, the sinner. And yet the Pharisee prayed, stood, and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this, oh, this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Oh, listen, that is the opposite of humility. He came to God because he thought something in him made him worthy. And yet nothing in us makes us worthy. It's not because of who we are we can approach him. It's in spite of who we are and because of who Jesus Christ is. A person, can a, can a believer today, can approach the throne of grace and is no longer a throne of judgment. It is a throne of grace and mercy to find help in time of need because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Let us never forget this. And if, our, and if that is true and we understand that, then your life should be, your prayer life should be filled with humility. One more point here. Your prayer life should I be your prayer life should you should identify with God's people. In your prayer life, you should identify with God's people. Look at verse number five, how Daniel prays. We have sinned and have committed iniquity, 
and have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. Note this, throughout the prayer, Daniel's constantly praying. He's not praying like this. All the Jews, they're so stiff-necked, they're so hardened in their sin. Oh, but they deserve that. But I, I don't deserve that. No, he comes and identifies with God's people. We have rebelled. We have hardened our neck. We have done this. Here, as a Jewish man, he identifies with the ethnic people of God, the Jewish people. May I say, if you're a saved believer, if you're a member of this local church, you ought to identify with other members of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. In verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. And then he ends in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. He is speaking to those who have been saved by the grace of God and through, and through biblical baptism by immersion have been joined to that church, the body of Christ there in Corinth. And as members of the body of Christ, they were to care for one another. And one of the ways we can care for one another within the context of the local church is to pray for one another. Not just, listen, the Lord's prayer is not my Father who art in heaven, is it? It's our Father. We are to identify with God's people as Daniel did in Daniel chapter 9. How many times are so good to pray for ourselves? And, oh, Lord, help the people in the church. Amen. And ought to be the opposite. Ourselves ought to be last in all of our needs. And God's people, those within the body of Christ, those that are part of members of your church, you ought to lift them up in prayer as Daniel did for the nation of Israel. Uh, listen, your prayer life should be in response to the Word of God. It should be fervent. It should be filled with humility. You ought to identify with God's people. And your prayer life should have confession of sin. It ought to have confession of sin. Over and over, Daniel talks about sin and Israel's sin, Israel's transgression. He uses the word sin here. One of the most generic Old Testament terms for sin. Describing intentional and unintentional sins, meaning simply to miss the target. He uses the word iniquity, a verb meaning to bend or to twist. Over and over, Daniel confessed sin as he prayed to God. I think of David. In fact, let's end here in Psalm 51. Let's look at a sinner's prayer. No, not one back of a track, but in the Bible. Psalm 51. What does it mean to pray and to confess sin and to repent of sin? Well, the Bible gives us an example here in Psalm 51. This prayer by King David after he sinned and cheated on his wife, committed adultery. And the prophet Nathan came and rebuked him. And he repented of his sin. And by the power of the Spirit of God wrote these inspired words in our Bible in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness and according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Though thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Listen, here's David confessing his sin. He doesn't say, yes, it's my sin, but it's also society. Society made me do it. No. He didn't come and blame his parents. He didn't come and say, well, when I was a child, my shoes were too tight, therefore I turned out this way. No, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Listen, David had a broken heart over his sin as he confessed and repented of his sin and prayed out to God. This is the heart of Daniel. This is the heart of David in prayer. And if we're going to learn anything about biblical prayer, is that there ought to be confession of sin in our lives. The Bible tells only our sins of doing wickedly, but the Bible says to him to know to do good, and do it not to him it is sin. How many times we can go week after week after week after week after week and not open our mouths for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not confess it as sin? How many times can we simply live life for ourselves and live a lukewarm Christian life and yet we don't confess it as sin that it is? Oh, Lord, help us that we, like Daniel, like David, would see our own sin and cry out to God. Oh, listen, before you can have a healthy prayer life, you must first be saved. For the Bible says, he that turneth his ear away from the hearing of the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Meaning that no amount of prayer can make you acceptable to God. God accepts only perfect righteousness, and that is the righteousness of his own son. If you're not saved, then God's command is not pray and earn God's forgiveness. God's command is repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. God's command to you, to all men everywhere, is to repent. And to turn from sin, to lay down the weapons of your warfare, and sweetly surrender in saving faith to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We talked about prayer, and prayer is a practice and ought to be a daily practice for every believer. But you cannot earn salvation by prayer. Salvation has been completed and fully earned by the Son of God on behalf of every sinner that will repent and believe on Him. Have you heard that gospel call? Do you not have a healthy prayer life? Because you're not saved. You're unconverted. May God help you to see the truth as it is in Jesus Christ and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the promise of God. Let us pray.